Yes. Well, thank, thank, thank you too. Thank you, Wags. Thank you, Rodney, for uh, for everything you've done to your bodies. You got it, boys. Texas Sports Unfiltered. <laughs> Y'all be well. Right. Yes, uh, it's only an hour. Jeff Howe, Jordan Scruggs. Uh, really good feedback from everybody, Jordan, for show one. So uh, show number two, excited to get it going. Um, I want to go ahead and jump right into recruiting. Man, I know uh, you and Hank South were all over it last night. So was Mike Roach from a national perspective. Um, Texas has already flipped Wardell Mack from Florida. Corey Raymond gets let go last night. The the parting of the ways wasn't mutual, was it not? Read into that, whatever you will. But how, how does that move? And Corey Raymond at one point in time, Jordan was the big dog recruiter when he was at LSU. I think no disrespect the, to Corey big, The biggest dog. Yeah, no disrespect to Corey Raymond, but I think people realize, you know what, it's LSU. They're probably going to recruit really good DBs anyway. So, but I, But at any rate, Corey Raymond no longer part of that Florida program. How does this impact Texas? Makes it a lot easier for Texas with Xavier Phillips to me, for sure. I mean, everyone obviously knows yeah. that. Um, but, yeah, uh, very, very real, real as it's ever been with him in terms of uh, their flip chances. Um, in fact, I almost put in a crystal ball last night, um, not just because of Raymond getting fired, but, you know, talking to the sources in Austin at the program. Um, but, you know, if I'm in a lose-lose situation, if a pick gets entered or whatever, uh, he's on social media saying he's not going anywhere. Yeah. But the the intel is very much pointing um, that Texas is in a position to flip him. Um, I know he, he's saying stuff online. You know, uh, it's common that kind of recruits will, uh, I guess, cover for themselves. I'm not sure. Yeah. Oh, um, yeah. 100%. But, 100%. But, yeah, it, it's as real as it's ever been there. Um and to be honest, it's kind of a miracle that Texas is in it after offering in October, and he's a five star. I believe we have him as the number two safety in the country. Mm-hmm. Um, I think I think you're right on that. Yeah. So I mean, even if I know y'all don't want participation trophies, but even if Texas doesn't get him, I mean, damn good job by Blake Gideon to even get back in this thing because I honestly didn't think it would be possible. Um, like I, I remember he posted the offer. Uh, like we knew he got offered, but. It, he didn't post it the day of the Red River game because um, Gideon called him in warm-ups and offered him then. But he didn't post it until, I believe, the Monday. Um, and w- once he took a few days to post it, I was like, okay, I really I really don't think that they'll have a shot here and all this other stuff about him being locked into Florida and then obviously Florida's having the season they have. And they fired Corey Raymond last night. Um, to be honest, I haven't watched Florida at all besides Florida State, so I kind of have a casual take here about, like, what – who is going to be better than Corey Raymond? Um, I don't know. You know, man. he. I know. I know what you said about LSU and recruiting, but I mean, he was there at LSU a long ass time, and mm-hmm. I mean that would whatever anyone wants to say. My opinion, the in the stretch he was there, LSU was DBU, and he was the architect of building all that because he was never. I I believe just like at Florida, he's never been a, just a corners coach or a safeties coach. He's been in charge of both as a defensive backs coach, and I believe that's how it was at Florida. And I'm 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 in at LSU, and I'm pretty positive that Patrick Peterson, Tyron Matthew, all those dudes that come through were underneath, him, like under him as their coach. Um, so yeah. it's definitely going to be a hit for them in the short term and the long term. I feel like I don't know who would be a better option than him. Um, but again, you know, uh, if I was in charge of <laughs> coaching decisions, I probably wouldn't be on this show. Um, but yeah, so t- Texas definitely. As real as it gets right now uh, with Phil Simi, um, they're obviously pushing for him to come back on an official visit. He snuck down last ca- uh, last week for an unofficial, um, and they'd love to get him back, obviously, especially with his family. That's going to be very important there. His mom lives in Florida. Dad lives in Dallas. So it's kind of hard to coordinate with both of them. But, you know, Texas, they'll find ways to figure it out, and that's what they're trying to do right now. And McKinney being out of the playoffs helps a lot. Uh, what isn't helping, though, is Texas. <laughs> I mean, it obviously is helping them that they're in the Big 12 championship, but short term for recruiting, they don't have this weekend open when sure, yeah. every yeah. school in America outside of the eight or ten playing in the conference championships um, will have it open. No doubt. Yeah, so Corey Raymond, Corey Raymond played at LSU, played in the NFL um, from Louisiana. You know, Jordan, the one thing I've learned about Louisiana that I, I don't think people realize, people say, oh, just get a guy on your staff that knows how to recruit Louisiana. There's two different parts of Louisiana. You, you've got to recruit central and north Louisiana. Uh, you know, Alexandria pretty much all the way up to Monroe, Shreveport, 
And sometimes you're depending on where you're at geographically, your guy that does East Texas, he might bleed over and do, you know, Shreveport to Monroe, have that North Louisiana portion of the state as his territory. But you want to recruit New Orleans, you got to have a guy that understands New Orleans, understands, man, we don't need to waste our time here because this is a school where traditionally, they, if they got kids that are good enough to go there, they're going to go to LSU. They're not coming here. They're not coming to Bama. They're going to go to LSU. Um, you know, Corey Raymond being an LSU guy, it's much easier. It's, it's easier to be that guy at LSU because you don't have any in-state competition. I mean, Alabama is the closest thing you've got to in-state competition for kids. Um, so Corey Raymond is going to be an asset to any staff that's looking for a secondary coach that values the state of Louisiana. On that staff, he was there. And it's, re- it's really weird. Jordan, because I know Bo Davis started this way at LSU under Nick Saban. Mm-hmm. Corey Raymond started at LSU. Uh, it was an intern coach in 2006. And in 07 and 08, he started out in the weight room. He was assistant strength and conditioning. And then when he came back a few years later, he was the associate head coach and the DB's coach. So he was there from 2012 through 21 and then went to Florida uh, in 22 and was there with Billy Napier the last two years. So uh, Corey Raymond's going to be an asset to somebody. But this could be Texas game. We'll see where it goes. Is safety? I was going to ask you this: with, you know, with the portal opening up next Monday, everybody's got their idea of you know who Texas needs to go after, what the priorities need to be. Uh, obviously, the interior defensive line should always be a portal priority if you can find those guys. Edge rushers, if you can find them, should always be a priority. But for me, and I, you know, you see a guy, especially with an offensive coach like Sark, you see a guy like Relique Brown planning on hitting the portal. That's got to be something that entices you. But for me, and until until you get a crystal clear idea of what the depth at that position looks like, man, safety's got to be one of those positions. You've got to address it, I think, both both with your normal high school recruiting cycle and you've got to address safety in the portal. I mean, Jalen Catalan could come back for another year, but how, how long is he going to hold up physically? You know, Texas ran into that problem this year with him. Uh, you know, he's a hell of a player when he's healthy. The the when he's healthy part still being the caveat with him. Is safety, how high up on the list, Jordan, for you is safety in terms of the uh, portal needs? Because for me, it, it might be it might be right behind defensive line. Yeah. Um, I think a big <laughs> a big thing it, it could depend on is how quick they can maybe get things wrapped up with Phil Smith. Um, yeah, yeah. You know, right now, I really think it is trending to him flipping to Texas and uh, plan on putting out a story kind of talking about that after we get off here. Um, but, yeah, I, that's definitely going to have an impact on how they look at safety in the portal for sure. Um, I think receiver is also very important. Uh, Xavier Worthy's gone. A.D. Mitchell, heavily under the assumption that he's gone. Mm-hmm, yeah. Whittington's out of eligibility. Um while Wingo, we have him as the number five player in the country. You know, I, I don't know if he's necessarily a dude who's a, a day one step in. Because um, a lot of people, this is a good time to talk about our rankings. It is NFL <laughs> draft projection. Um, yeah. Where we're projecting Ryan Wingo currently to be the number five pick in the NFL draft whenever he's eligible after his junior year. Um, so that doesn't mean he's going to start right away because that doesn't mean he's a number five high school player, if that makes sense. So. Uh, Wingo, I think he can start away, but you know, there's, there will be better options for Texas than having Wingo start right away. Um, Livingstone kind of feel the same way as Wingo. You know, I think he's going to need time. Freddie DeBose, I think will definitely need time. I still don't think Freddie DeBose is hundred percent back from the injury. At least he definitely did not look like it whenever I saw him play versus Lehman earlier this fall. Um, but well, I mean, you, you, in, in his defense, you did see him against Lehman. Sorry, Lobos, but <laughs> yeah, uh, yeah, true. Yeah, it, it, that's one. That's one. That if you're planning on going to that game, you probably need to get there and watch warm ups to get your get your scouting notebook full. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. and I mean, it, it, don't he still went over 100 yards, had a touchdown against Lehman. Don't get me yeah. wrong, but I just mean like, man, I saw him before the injury his sophomore year, and the type of athleticism he has, or I think, yeah, has. There are only so many people born on this earth with that. Like, he, he is a truly special athlete. Um, and he showed up to the Under Armour camp in March saying he was 70% back. And we were like, why are you here? And he's like, I wanted to play. And we're like, uh, okay. And, you know, he he was one of the better receivers there that day. Um, yeah. But it was obvious he doesn't have, at least at that point, I don't, I'm not sure if it's something he can get back. I'm not sure exactly how 
bad the injury was or how severe it was. Um, but he just he didn't look as quick in and out of breaks as he used to. And, you know, hopefully that's something he can get back being in a Power 5 SEC strength and conditioning program at Texas. You know, they uh, started to become pretty notorious, their body transformations, Devondre Sweat. So, you know, hopefully they can make something work. Um, regardless, he's still very much a Power 5 wide receiver prospect no matter what. Yeah, of guys on the roster, though, when we talk about portal receivers, uh, one of, you know, the same impact that you could have going to get a guy in the portal is if you get Isaiah Nair back. And I think what you're talking about with Freddie DeBose, I think that applies to to Isaiah Nair, too, because the Isaiah Nair that we saw spring of 2022 is not the same guy. Even when you get there early to a game and, like, you watch guys warm up, and, Jordan, you were field level for for the TCU game. That's not the same Isaiah Nair we saw spring no. of 2022, the one we it, see now. It, it isn't. Um, and there's been nothing that I've been told that is saying he's going in the portal, but he is right. someone that I am watching for to potentially enter the portal. Um, and like you said, it just doesn't seem like he's the same anymore coming back from the injury. I know there's uh, some off-the-field stuff that might have come up, um, but that's the most I'll say about that. And you know, he hasn't played a ton. Texas doesn't rotate the receivers. And when they do, it's Xavier Worthy getting tired from running 60 yards down the field, and they put John Tan for one play. Um, I don't agree with that, but at the same time, I mean, are you going to – if he if he's okay, if he's good to go, are you going to take off a projected first-round wide receiver or Whittington to put in a freshman, you know? I understand why they're not getting rotation snaps, but I'd still like to see a little more. Yeah, that's one of those deals. Like I've I've written plenty of articles and talked about it plenty. You go back to Sark's time at Alabama when he took over play calling at Alabama in 2019, and that those two years at Bama and the first two years at Texas, his wide receiver rotation, if you want to call it that, was basically like four or five guys. I mean, you look at Bama in 2019. I mean, granted, you had four or four future first rounders had no yeah. rotation. John Mechie had like nine targets all year. John Mechie's an NFL player. So, you know, but he's not cracking that rotation when your top four were Ruggs, Waddle, uh, Judy, and who am I forgetting about? Ruggs, Waddle, Judy, and why can I not think of who the other guy was? Uh, at any rate. Devontae uh, Smith. Devontae Smith. How did I forget the freaking Heisman winner? Yeah. So, so you weren't cracking the rotation with any of those four guys. But that's, that's just Sark's M.O., and that's the way it's going to be. And I think I wonder if guys just start to understand that, that, hey, if you're going to go play receiver at Texas, you're probably going to need to end up waiting your turn. Uh, yeah, everything good, Jordan? You need to you need to run or anything? I'm, um, I'm, always, I'm always hesitant with, uh, with, with your stuff if you've got something that's pressing that needs to get taken care of. Um, no, no, I'm good. I'm good. Okay. Sorry. Um, <laughs> no, man. This is a, uh, the, the, the transfer portal is wild, man. Wild. This um, is, but you know, this is what, uh, this is why I like doing this show with you because we could get some, you know, breaking news or whatever mid show or just on the spur of the moment. That's how busy Jordan is, man, in the portal, covering recruiting, doing everything else. Uh, I want to, I do want to talk about the college football playoff rankings coming out tonight, though. Um, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price. Priceline. I don't think it's that big of a deal because I'm still expecting to see I'm still expecting to see Texas at seven. The only I don't think the committee's gonna put Texas ahead of Oregon yet. They haven't to this point. Why would they now? The only thing is, do they put Ohio State? And I don't even think the Ohio State thing is that big of a deal because if Texas wins the Big 12 championship, they're gonna finish ahead of Ohio State anyway. So the 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 two big things for me, regardless of what it looks like tonight, is Florida State gonna beat Louisville? And what's going to happen Friday in that Pac-12 championship game? So to me, yeah. tonight, Jordan, is kind of moot. I don't, I don't want to say, like, don't watch the ranking show. If that's your deal, go right ahead. For work purposes, I have to watch it. But 
man, I wouldn't, I wouldn't sweat it because at dude, you're down to nut cutting time right now. Like either this thing's gonna happen or it's not. Like even if Texas yeah. takes care of business, if if or if Oregon wins that Pac-12 championship game and Florida State, you know, ends up winning and goes undefeated, wins the ACC. Yeah, it's probably going to be resume comparison comparing, and the committee's told you to this point. It's told the general public they value what Oregon's resume looks like more than they value what Texas looked like. Plus, if Oregon beats Washington, then they will have beaten everybody on their schedule. It's there's just not a whole lot you can do about it if you're Texas. Yeah, um, there's not, and I don't know if you saw Brad Crawford's post on our board about uh, yeah. Texas probably not going to be in the Cotton Bowl if they don't make the playoffs. Man, it would be such a letdown if they have to play Tulane or Washington. Like, such a letdown. Um, I forgot the other teams he mentioned they could potentially play, but I just remember reading those two and being like, yuck. Um, I mean, it could it could be the it could be the loser of the Pac-12 championship game in the Fiesta Bowl. Um, yeah. I'd but, like to see Texas versus Oregon. That, that, I'd, I'd love to see that. But Washington, Texas played them last year in Tulane. Like, man, come on. Tulane in the in the Peach Bowl. Yeah, come on, man. Um, yeah. it, it just it seems like like it's not a New Year's Six Bowl. Trust me, is great for where they were and have been. But man, for what this season is is for Texas and kind of what it was supposed to be, you know, the the OU loss is obviously a big stain on it. Man, it, it's kind of a it's a huge letdown. If you yeah. go twelve and one, win the Big Twelve championship just to play Tulane. You know, and here's the other, yeah, here's the other part too, Jordan. I know we were talking about this uh, in our our staff text. If they're not in the CFP, those those guys that are no would no doubt be with this team. If they were playing, you know, Georgia in the Sugar Bowl or Michigan in the Rose Bowl, um, yeah, I don't think some of those guys are going to stick around to play Tulane in the Peach Bowl. Maybe no. they do. You know, maybe for some of those guys, for for a select few, maybe. You know, dangling the carrot of hey, if you you know you can go win this game and you know to get to 13 wins, tie the record for the most wins a Texas team has ever had, really leave your mark. Maybe that could entice some guys, but you're talking about a very, very, very select few of the guys that are going to have draft options that I think that would appeal to. Um, it, it basically, I think what Texas fans need to prepare themselves for is I'm not going to go all Dan Mullen here and tell you the bowl game won't matter if it's a non if it's a non CFP bowl. Yeah. 20 Saturday is probably going to be the last time you see the 2023 team as you know it on the field. We said this last year before the bowl game, right? With you know, with with the opt-outs you had last year with no Roshan, no Bijan, um you know, you kind of knew what it was going to be. I forget Jordan and I I'm, I'm sorry I forget that Overshone didn't play in the bowl game last year, did he? Or did he play in the bowl game? I, I don't think I don't he played think in the bowl so. game. Yeah. I don't think so. So it Him, was... Roshan, Bijan, the, did Ojomo Coburn sit out or did they play? Uh, no, Coburn played. Moro did not. I hmm. think if I'm remembering that right. But and, and I even said at the time, I'm like, yeah, the, the last game for the 2022 team was that Black Friday went over Baylor. That was the last game for the 2022 team. That was basically, you know, your 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 bowl practices were basically, like, hey, it's a it's an early, it's an early extended spring practice, and and that's what it's going to be for some of these guys. Now, for your freshmen, as young as you are in some spots, that's going to be good for some of these guys. But okay. yeah, you're right. Whether I, I think the only thing outside of the CFP that would get that would get this fan base excited is if you said, hey. Both you and Oregon, uh, you know, because look, I'm telling you, I don't know if we talked about this yesterday. I, I, th- I know I talked about this with Rodney and BK, but because I was alive on this earth in the year 2008 and watched that whole thing go down, it, it amazes me. Like our like our boy Josh Pate, I love Josh Pate, but when Josh was like, head to head matters, head to head matters. Guess what? I watched the 2008 season. Head to head didn't matter. Yeah, it it didn't matter at the end of the day because the team that lost that game in October was the one playing in the Big Twelve Championship game at the end of the year. I know it's a different system, but I digress. What I say that is, I'm 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 prepared for. And if you got a dog in a fight with Texas, you need to prepare yourself. 
if Alabama beats Georgia on Saturday, they're both getting into the playoff. Yeah. Alabama's leaping out. They're leaping Oregon. They're leaping Texas. They're one of the four teams in. And there's no way the committee valuing Alabama that much drops Georgia completely out of the top four. Yeah. The best case scenario is Georgia wins easily. Georgia wins. Washington wins. Louisville wins. Louisville wins. And then you're you're in at that point. Yeah. Hey man, Louisville kind of on the come up, man. They got they got their funds in order over there at NIL. Man, let's talk about that because you and I talked about that, and I know uh, they they had Ruben Owens committed for a minute last mm-hmm. year. Uh, they had DeAndre Moore committed up until you know the eleventh hour last year too. Man, that ain't uh, don't just be laughing at Louisville thinking that's just old Papa John's money that that's all they got there. Louisville no. got the offer stock, man. They're they're gonna get some dudes out of the portal, um, for sure. Mike Adams' son, yes, he is. Deuce Adams is going to Louisville, and he's effing awesome. He's an awesome player. Baylor completely pooped their pants on that one. They uh, <laughs> uh I, I won't talk about that part. But Deuce, Deuce Adams, Mark is that a on damn your, good it's player. only an hour bingo card that Jordan just insulted Dave Randa <laughs> and the Baylor staff. Uh, man, I mean, I'll, at least once a show. Yeah, it might be a it might be a daily thing as long as they're there. I don't know. It, it's like who in their right mind says we're bringing you back because we're gonna get rid of the assistants and boost the NIL. There's only been one assistant that's been <laughs> dropped so far, and it's the offensive coordinator. Man, uh, yeah, like we talked about yesterday, it's just it's just you know shuffling deck chairs on the Titanic. Man, you keep this up. Uh, uh, Dave Aranda's going to treat you like I'm pretty sure Sean Watson would want to treat me. I'm pretty sure if Sean Watson ever saw me in public, I'm pretty sure he'd want to punch me in the face for all the bad things I said about him. You're going to get to the point where Dave Aranda's going to want to punch you in the face. Yeah. I don't know. He seems like a pretty mellow guy. <laughs> he does. Seems like a pretty mellow guy. He does, you know? man. He, you might think he wants to punch you in the face and y'all end up, you know, talking philosophy for hours on end. Who knows? But no, the point is, man, Louisville, Louisville's got some money. And, you know, you've got a guy there in Jeff Brom, who's an alum, understands that program, uh, you know, and you know, there there are some high school prospects and some high school programs in and around that area that do produce talent that are willing to send their kids to Louisville. Uh, you know, Rondell Moore, Rondell Moore was a Louisville kid who was committed to Texas and Jeff Brom was at Purdue. Uh, and he, you know, that's how Rondell Moore, the only reason Rondell Moore ended up at Purdue. Uh, yeah, Louisville's one of those teams. I'll be honest, Jordan, I haven't watched a ton of Louisville this year, but knowing what you said and what other people yeah. have told me about Louisville, that's especially as, I'll be quite frank, especially as garbage as the ACC is on a yearly basis. Um, they've got the the goods to stick around for a little bit at the top oh, yeah. of the ACC. Oh, yeah, and I think SMU is really going to compete in the ACC as well. Um, maybe not right off the rip, but I think they're going to figure it out. They they really do have their money in order, um, a lot more than people think. Um, everyone's obviously, like SME always has money, the Pony Express. There's a difference in having money and having the money be organized. Um, yeah. Look at A&M. Right. No, hey, Texas has been that way for a long time, too. I mean, yeah, you guys- Texas... I wouldn't say it's the best, but it's one of the best for sure. In terms of yeah. what I know about how uh, the the NIL program set up, it's it's definitely one of the best. Um, and you just can't you can't have an NIL program like I know we keep hammering it, man. You can't be like Baylor, where yeah. the the reaction is, dude, what are you guys doing? Like, what you're doing makes no sense. It's nonsensical. Um, yeah, is Texas the best? That's debatable, but they're definitely not the worst. They definitely have an idea uh, of getting their stuff together, um, and I think you'll you'll see that bear out. It's been it's, it's just it's weird for me to to you know having covered recruiting as long as I did, having been around this. It's just really weird for us to be talking about recruiting now, like we're talking to like you talk about here. You know the Adam Schefters of the world, the Ian Rappaports and the Tom Pelissero's of the world talk about NFL free agency. And salary caps. It's really weird that we're talking about NIL like that. But then that's dude. If you if you don't if you're following the stuff, if you're a fan of college football and you don't have your head wrapped around that, dude, you're already you're already way behind. Yeah. No, it's it's true, and I mean, um, it's the wild west. The NCAA still doesn't have regulations on it. I mean, and even with, when they do, like 
Y'all know how it is. And guys have always been getting paid, you know. And it'll go on illegally. It still goes on illegally all the time. But the regulations will definitely help. I don't get the argument of people wanting to make the what the players are making public. I think that's definitely does more bad than good. Yeah. Um, you know, it's it's for most people you can't just Google their salaries. And I know you can say NBA, NFL, whatever you can, but these are not NBA or NFL players. They're student athletes for the NCAA. It's, so um I'm with you that I don't I don't think I don't think anything positive can come from it. Because it's think like one, I hear a lot of numbers, but I will never report one. I I'll, I'll say a ball like for example, this is crazy to me. Cameron Rising, seven figures to come back to Utah. Who would have ever thought that, right? But at different positions um, and with different numbers, a lot of the times they're fake. Like, for example, I know what Colin Sims is getting at UT. It is nowhere close to the number that I've seen online. Nowhere close. Not even half. Um, just because people inflate the numbers like – it is so rare for a college football player to make over six figures um, in NIL today. It is incredibly rare, even at the Power Five level. Um, and like, it's got to be less than five percent easily. Yeah. Um, and I remember I talked to a there's a three star kid in the 2024 class out of Houston. Um, and I remember they're they're currently committed to a school, and a another school is trying to flip them. They currently do not have an NIL deal set up at their current school. The school trying to flip them asked, what are you making? And they they called me, what do you think we should say? And I'm like, what do you, y'all have anything set up? No. I'm like, okay, well, you, you cannot lie about it because they will know. <laughs> um, and I was like, so what are you thinking about doing? He's like, well, I was probably going to tell them like they got 100K a year for us. And I was just like, dude. No one is making a hundred. The kids that are the talent level of your son are not making a hundred k. And so I told him like, hey, at the very most, say thirty a year. And the kid's still committed to that school. Um, so don't know the exact where it all ended up or the numbers he's getting, but there there's so much confusion about how much these players are actually making. Yeah. Um, and so much of it is false. And unfortunately. Unless the NCAA makes it where the numbers have to be public info, then it will always be like this. Because whether whether people want to admit it or not, like I'm just going to use a player as an example and just throw out a number. Let's say that the numbers are made public and it's revealed that Xavier Worthy is making 1.5 million a year in NIL money. Okay, Let's just hypothetically say that. The next time Xavier Worthy drops a pass, you don't think somebody either in the stadium, watching the game, is going to light social media on fire and talking about, I can't believe this guy makes $1.5 million a year and he's dropped there dropping passes. Like, exactly. like you said, nothing positive is going to come out of releasing those numbers. Other than, I mean, let's be honest, man, uh, my media brethren, we're, we're a nosy bunch. Sometimes we just want to know stuff just for the sake of knowing it. Jordan, you, you know me a little bit now. Man, I, I hear stuff and I'm like, dude, I don't even I don't even want to know. I'm a, we're gonna have this conversation. You're gonna tell me this. I'm gonna pretend I didn't hear half of this and I'm gonna forget it. Like I tear, I have people tell me stuff all the time that I don't want to know. Um, yeah. but you know, some people, you know, it's just it's just the nature of the beast sometimes. But I don't know, I'm with you. I don't I don't think those nothing good is gonna happen from those numbers becoming public. Um We'll we'll talk a little. We can talk a little more CFP. I just don't know what else there is to talk about other than the fact that I don't see any movement going on there. Um, yeah. We've already hit on recruiting a little bit. We've already hit on the uh, on the transfer portal, um, and we'll continue to do that. Man, next Monday, dude. I don't. Are we gonna have to call in BK for backup next Monday? Because then I got a feeling like you'll have the phone probably glued to your ear next Monday uh. when that portal opens. Maybe. Um, or or, or, or would, sun, would, would Saturday, Sunday be the big days for you, like the 24 to 48 hours before it opens? Well, I mean, any time between now and, like, December 6th is going to be a big day for guys going in the portal. Um, it's completely random. For me, I had it set up to to break a couple dudes going in the portal, but, like, working with the national team and other stuff like that, I won't break anything. I'm just passing it on to them, unless it's directly a, a Texas kid. Um, mm -hmm. but like, 
Uh, I think I think we'll be all right. Uh, my plan this week is to write up a bunch of drafts. I already know of like a ton of people going in the portal that aren't announcing it till the fourth. Um, our stampede for December fourth is going to be um, ten names to watch, and it's going to include guys that haven't entered yet. Um, but you know, uh, they're on there. It's because I expect them to enter, and you know, I'm going to word that obviously very carefully for everyone. Um, yeah. But yeah, no, the portal's going to be crazy, and. Uh, you know, with Texas, they're a very attractive option for a lot of these guys, um, you know, because you can make good NIL money there playing the SEC, and there it's, it's a good program that has a lot of stability right now. Um, yeah, I mentioned uh, Relique Brown out of USC. Yeah. was one of those guys that, you know, when the time comes, you'll probably hear his name attached to Texas. Yeah, actually, as early of this morning, the source has actually told us that Texas is one of the preferred destinations, if not the preferred destination. So that's 1,000% something we are watching. Um, Still, you know, going to wait to see how much interest Texas has. Um, Very similar kind of player to Keelan Robinson, but uh, I think is more talented out of high school than Keelan Robinson was. but he, he's going to be one to watch. I, I'm trying to – I can't remember who's even in his recruitment because he was committed to OU and then flipped to – And then flipped when Lincoln SD. Riley left. Yeah, it was so it was so long. I mean, I don't – I don't remember – I don't remember Texas being involved, but only because that – it seemed like he was committed to Oklahoma forever before he ended up flipping to USC. Yeah, he was. I'm about to pull this up. Oh, you pulling up Relique Brown's profile to see what that looks like? I'm, yeah, I'm just going to see where he took official visits to. That usually tells you. Oh, his only OB <laughs> was to USC. I love I love Kieran in the chat. Said, I'm happy the Longhorn Blitz curse has been lifted. We're actually a good team again. Yeah, ever since ever since Horns 24-7, Horns we went live uh, to whatever iteration we were back then. I don't even remember. We changed names two or three times, but... Um, we went live in August of 2010. Not the best time to be launching a, a, a site dedicated to, to UT football and football recruiting. Uh, and then the blitz came around in 2012. So yeah, it's been uh, it, it's been some lean years that I've covered. So trust me, I've been I've enjoyed the hell out of this 12 game regular season and getting ready for this Big 12 championship game on Saturday. Yeah, it, no. Every week, Hank and I are like, man, can you believe that? Like when we finally got to start covering Texas, they're actually good <laughs> and are yeah. doing what they're supposed to do. Like, Man, I, I, w- I would talk to, you know, when, when Mike Roach, when Mike was still in, in y'all's position over recruiting, I'd tell him like, man, uh, you know, be happy that you got stuff going on to signing day, man. When I was covering it under Mac back in the day, like in a recruiting cycle, they'd get 80% of it done at the junior days. And usually by the time spring evaluation period started, I remember the first spring evaluation period when I was out on the road, it was really, I was tracking like four guys. It was like Jordan Hicks, Jackson Jeffcoat, maybe DeMarco Cobbs. And there was like one or two other guys. I was like, you're basically tracking like four or five guys. Yeah. It's times have changed. Yeah. Uh, Kieran said, you're the good luck charm, Jordan. So hey, it's man. All, it's all you. Somebody it's wants all, me. <laughs> it's all, it's all Jordan and Hank. We brought Jordan and Hank on and Texas started winning. So we just had to, we just had to get the mix right. So, um, yeah, it's all. I wonder. <laughs> do you think there's someone on our staff with like this reason Sark isn't kicking field goals? Uh ooh. Like if we're good luck, is there someone who's like reverse juju? You Pro- probably me. Probably me. I've still got that 2010 stench on me, so it's probably me. That's probably why. That's probably why I hate the, I hated the fake field goal against Houston so much. That's just Sark just needling me a little bit, just poking the bear like, yeah, I'm still. It's still here. Those those bad feelings can crop up every now and then. Yeah. It's probably me. I'll, I'll take the blame for it, regardless. Speaking of, I uh, mentioned Houston. Talking, we're talking. Mm. You talked about SMU already. Speaking of in-state schools, you mentioned A and M briefly. Uh, the SEC's put out a few games that are going to take place next year. A couple of Texas games. Does all feel right in the world, Jordan? When you're going to look at that 2024 schedule and see November 30th in College Station, Thanksgiving weekend, that Saturday, the Texas. Texas A&M will play. I really don't like that it's on a Saturday. Um, you'd, rather either, have it on the, you'd rather have it on Black Friday or Thanksgiving Day? Yeah, it's got to be one of the two, man. I mean, I know it's been a long time since they played, but, like, there's traditions here, you know? 
Okay, here we go. Yeah, um, I, I've got a feeling though it's going to be on Saturday. Whatever, whatever spot ESPN decides their spot is, and my guess would be probably Saturday prime time is the window that uh, ESPN ABC wants to own when they get exclusive rights to the SEC. Mm-hmm. My guess is that'll be their game that weekend. That'll be their Saturday primetime game. Yeah. Um, yeah. CB just said Michigan, Ohio State's the same thing. Should be on Thanksgiving Day. That's ridiculous. Facts. Um, what do we, what else we got here? Texas and Arkansas is on the 16th. Isn't that game like between Texas and Arkansas? I know it's been a while since they've been in the same uh, conference. Wasn't that game usually played earlier in the season, or am I just like being stupid and young? No, um, you're right. That was probably uh, usually around the OU game. And there are some years you can look at it in the 60s and the 70s, and even probably some years in the 80s where you can see Texas played Arkansas and OU back to back weekends. Because back then, OU wasn't a conference game, Arkansas was a conference game. True. And Georgia, two weeks after OU, isn't going to be fun. For Texas, <laughs> no, they, they they got Georgia October nineteenth. So that'd be yeah. That's one of those deals where I thought you hit the nail on the head. We did one of our staff round, which by the way, I got to send out staff roundtable topic. I still haven't done that for this weekend. It's already lunchtime Tuesday, so I'm slacking. But we did one of our roundtable topics. I want to say it was right before the season started, or maybe like before the Alabama game. Mm-hmm. where hell it might have been after Bama. I don't know. I digress. With the roundtable topic was what do you – yeah, it was after the Bama game because it was what do you think is going to allow Texas to take this win and spin it forward and really make something special out of the season. And I think the rest of us were kind of on, you know, schemes or personnel or whatever. And you hit the nail on the head, man. You said depth. Depth, depth is where you – know, you look at those four newcomers, those four Big 12 newcomers that all struggled this year. UCF, Houston, uh, BYU, BYU, and UCF, Houston, BYU. Who am I missing? Cincinnati. Cincinnati, last place team in the conference. That's really what. And I, I heard Gary Patterson talk about this after TCU's first year in the Big Twelve. You know, one through twenty-two, they felt like they matched up with just about everybody in the league. But it was twenty-three through forty-eight where they felt like you were light years away from being able to compete with everybody. You just didn't have quality depth. That's been the saving grace for Texas, man. You said it was it was depth that was going to get Texas through it, and that's how you you know you lose Quinn Ewers for a couple games. You know you've got a backup quarterback like Malik Murphy that got you through it. You lose Jonathan Brooks for the year, well, you got C.J. Baxter, and we've seen Jaden Blue and Savion Red. Uh, you you know Jatavian Sanders has been banged up. Gunnar Helm's been able to play really well. I know my guy Eric Henry will like me mentioning Gunnar Helm on this show. Uh, you know you've been able to manage the injuries that you've had. Has it been perfect? No. Have you been, you know, steamrolling people? No. But, man, Jordan, you've watched enough Texas football in your life. Now, there have been Texas teams that we've seen where an injury like losing a Quinn Ewers or, or a Jatavian Sanders for even if you lose him for basically a full game, uh, you lose to Jonathan Brooks for the year. Then we've seen Texas teams where that would cripple, that would cripple a Texas team. And not only were you able to emerge from that, with a quality depth piece, but man, you won in spite of the fact that you lost the starter. That's, that's what's kind of drawn me to this Texas team is you think about like the 05 team and obviously VY was the centerpiece. You think about 08, 09 with Colt as the centerpiece. This team has won really without having like a transcendent superstar. You know, like Quinn Ewers has the potential to be a transcendent talent, and he may get there at some point, but it's not like Texas isn't going to have a Heisman finalist. You know, they're not going to have, you know, one of the top. You can't look at them and say you've got one of the top three to five players in the country right now that's going to finish, you know, where they're going to finish in the Heisman voting or anything like that. You don't have a transcendent player right now at quarterback or running back one of your offensive skill positions. You don't have a you know, a Brian Arakpo or a Sergio Kendall, this dynamic pass rusher, you don't have uh, that Thorpe Award guy on the back end. You've just been, you, you've got talented depth and you've got a lot of guys that are plus players, a couple of guys who are pretty elite. And, and you've been able to win because you're pretty dang complete as a team. Whether the numbers show that week to week or not doesn't matter. Your performance is dictated. You're pretty freaking complete as a team. And, you, and you've got the depth to go with it. Yeah. 
Yeah, sorry. I'm just going through Twitter right now and looking at some of the stuff that's come out since we've been on air. You do you doom scrolling or what? Sorry. You do you doom scrolling just looking for for the for the negative or what? Oh no, nah, just going through the feed because oh trailer apparently interviewed for UH today. I think I don't know because for me I think about keeping the kill shorts because that's what um, if the kill shorts isn't in Houston Matthew Golden is leaving, and I I, I don't think that's too much to say, um, but. If he comes back, there is going to be a heavy, heavy consideration to stay. Um, thing with UTSA and Coach Trailer, he's got a damn good receivers coach too, Joe Price. Mm-hmm. He's originally from Houston, coached in North Shore in the past too. So, um, you know, as good as Shorts is, that's Trailer's guy, and he'll probably unseat him if he ends up getting that job, which is going to have you know a domino effect on their players leaving in the portal. Um, with Trailer at UH, I like that a lot. I do know he was going to take the Baylor job if it was offered it to him. I know that for a fact. Um, but with UH, man, they just need someone who can keep the kids in Houston. I know yeah. it's way easier said than done. You don't have to get all the top guys. Just one of them and figure out the ones that are the under-recruited ones and get them committed early on. Pretty much the same model Tech does. Like, find these kids for anyone else, make them commit. And then, like, hey, we offered you first, believed in you first, and, like, the kids stick with them. Yeah. Houston and UTSA, or UTSA already does that, but it's UTSA, so no one really cares. Yeah. Um, At at UH, they they can make an impact there. And also, yeah, they're in the G5 until this year, but, man, they they do have money for NIL. And I honestly don't know why they haven't kind of been more aggressive. But, like, for example, do you remember Jaden Rashada, right? Now at Arizona State. His recruitment, uh, I can say it now because it's over. His recruitment is always NIL-based. Who's going to have the biggest offer, right? Was committed to Miami and then flipped out like midnight to Florida. I remember I, <laughs> I was driving back from Houston on the phone with the Tim Burgess because it was literally midnight. Um, and Jaden Rashada flipped f- from Miami to Florida only to go through the whole thing on signing day where he didn't show up. <laughs> Uh, it, it got reported, but in case you missed it, it was because uh, the number that Florida and him shook on prior to signing day was not what the number was to be paid to him after signing day. It actually happens a lot, and there are a few schools notorious for it, um, including a big one on the West Coast. Um, but Houston has money to compete. They almost sure. got Rashada in December whenever he was looking around after he got out of his letter of intent. TCU and Houston were very much involved there. And I never saw Houston reported. I believe I saw TCU. But Houston was very much involved there. Um, and he ended up going to Arizona State. I'm not sure with his, I guess, third recruitment, if that was his NIL focused after the Florida thing got blew up. But I know that Houston got very aggressive there, and they, they do have the money. So if there's a way they can spread it out more and consistently keep these kids in Houston, Houston's going to be a power in the Big 12. They will. Yeah. To your point, you and I have talked about it with Tech, you know, James Blanchard and that recruiting staff. You talked to Joey McGuire about, you know, them trying to build a roster that's built to last. James Blanchard is one of the first people he'll mention that's been really big in helping them build that. Uh, You know, like you said, Trailer's already doing that. I mean, you look at kids that – UTSA will it has it's gonna happen every cycle and it has happened every cycle since trailer's been there. UTSA will offer kids really early, and you'll look, you know, when February once the junior day start, those kids UTSA offered like back in November. Now they'll have Texas and Oklahoma and LSU and AM. They'll have all the big time offers. There'll be a couple kids per cycle that they just get on early. Uh I have no doubt that trailer can do that. that you know, Jordan, you think about Houston, you think, oh man, you gotta go, you know, get the top kids at North Shore or Katie or wherever. No, man, if you just if you trust your contacts that, that can point you in the direction of kids that you might not know about that are maybe off the radar a little bit, if you trust your scouting department, you trust your guys making the evals, uh, and, and trust your gut, uh, man, you can, between Houston and East Texas, where obviously Jeff Trailer still has a lot of connections, uh, that, that territory we talked about yesterday, you know, that's kind of the front door to the SEC in the state of Texas, you can get enough kids just from that area to be competitive in the Big 12. No question. Yeah, and the thing that Houston has, too, like, they are perfect for the portal. Because there are so, like, 
Look at the guys they've added in the portal since the transfer portal's become a thing. Like 90% of them hail from the Houston area and are coming back home. Um, yeah. You know, you get to still be in a Power 5 conference, you're back home, and if you're good enough, you can make decent money there. Um, so they're, they're always going to have, they're always going to be a weapon in that sense. I saw someone said Houston got Ed Oliver before NIL was a thing. There's also a lot of other stuff in that recruitment, which is why there's a rule called the Ed Oliver rule. <laughs> With coaches, but um, yeah, nil wasn't a thing. But he 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 got taken care of. It was uh, Ed's recruitment was really unique in terms of him ending up at U of H. It's not like uh, you know Tom Herman and that staff just did. They were just swell guys and did such a great job recruiting Ed. There was you know they they knew how to, they knew there were some advantages to be had, and then they went and took advantage of those. Um, but you know, the same thing you said about Houston, you can say about you know, SMU and TCU too. I mean, kids, kids from that, the and, and, and I mean, I don't, Jordan, you're closer to stuff now than I am, but it, you'd always see it like kids, especially kids from the Metroplex and greater Houston, man, they would have you know, their selection of, of division one offers, and it was like, well, I'm going to go to this Pac-12 school or I'm going to go to this Big Ten school because that's the that's the, the biggest offer I have. Well, okay, it, it might sound like it might sound great going to Indiana or you know, Illinois if they, because they're a Big Ten school. Um, did you think about what it's going to be like to live in, in Champaign, Illinois in January or February? Mm-mm. Ask Bucky Godbold. It's not. It's not a place you want a vacation at that time of year. So yeah, that door. The door being open. One. People talk about the portal, man. One time transfer is the thing that's been the game changer. Like I've always felt like guys needed that for that reason because I see a lot of guys that get to a situation that just for whatever reason it's just not what they signed up for. Or some people do have, you know, family dynamics change or whatever, and you need to get back home and you're punished for it by losing a year of eligibility. For whatever reason, man, everybody should get a mulligan. And for years, Jordan, I, t- I told people, like, well, that's dumb. Why should you know, that you, it's going to open up Pandora's box? What kind of, kind of, can of worms are you going to open if everybody's allowed one free transfer? I'm like, yeah, I just need to get your head right for it because it's coming. It's going to happen. And it did happen. And yeah, the portal has made it easier for guys to transfer, but do one time transfer has that's been the thing that's completely changed the game where you like, Oh, I get a mulligan. I get a do over. I can transfer back home and not be penalized by it. Yeah. Houston should be set up pretty nicely to get some kids coming back home. Yeah. Um, they should. And, and they are uh, just saw uh, kind of wild that the Oklahoma state kicker, nor Burt Auburn have been named as a Lou Groza award finalist. And they lead the big 12 and field goals made. Yeah, man, Burt Auburn. Uh, I'm a Jordan. I don't know if you know this, but Somebody decided that I'm prestigious enough to have a vote for the Lou Groza Award. Oh. I'm, a, I'm a Lou Groza Award voter. Burt Auburn was not on my ballot. I couldn't have voted for Burt Auburn even if I wanted to. There was no spot for a write-in. Stop the polls. No. <laughs> no. <laughs> stop, uh, stop the count. We're stopping the count. Yeah. Um, yeah. yeah. Wow. Uh, no, no Burt Auburn, Jeff? No, he wasn't on the ballot. How, how many people... Like, how many pe- people uh, it, how does it work? It just they have the ballot and you rank. Yeah, them. I just got a list of uh, a list of semifinalists with the was a semifinalists or I just got a ballot had like eight names on it, and I was like, here, pick these guys in order, and I was like, man, surely Bert Auburn's gonna be here, and he wasn't. So I tried to do my due diligence. List? I want to say it was like. Somewhere like eight to somewhere to eight, eight, 12, something like that. I think mm. I don't was think it was Dicker ever a finalist. No, no, okay. but you know, the other award I vote for, another award I vote for, probably because I covered Daniel Sepulveda at Baylor and I covered Michael Dixon at Texas, mm-hmm. the two two time Ray Guy Award winners. I'm a voter for the Ray Guy Award also. Okay, talk to me, talk to me. Yeah, Ryan, that, Sam, Ryan Sanborn was not on my Ray Guy Award ballot either. So is that going on your on your tombstone? Here lies <laughs> former Ray Guy and Lou Groza. Ray Guy Award and Lou Groza yeah. Award voter Jeff. I'm gonna make sure my wife. I'm gonna tell my wife give her explicit instructions. This goes in the obituary. 
I want it to be known that I was a voter for the Groza Award and, and the Red Guy Award. So I don't know how I got it, but I'm, I'm appreciative of the opportunity. And uh, I also vote for the Maxwell Award. And I can't freaking remember which the Chuck, well, yes, the Chuck Bednarik Award is the one that I vote for, not the Bronco Nagurski. The Bronco Nagurski is a football writers association deal, uh, which, by the way, I think the CB send this out. I think it's Devondre Sweat, a finalist for the Outland Trophy. Did that just come down? Yes, actually, I just I see the email from uh, from UT now. I've got my uh, notifications turned off, but yeah, Devondre Sweat's a finalist for the Outland Trophy, nation's top interior lineman. Good, yeah, he should be. My Outland Trophy ballot, I got to submit three names. I went Byron Murphy, Sweat one, Byron Murphy two, and who did I put for three? Maybe it was a Jeremiah Trotter Jr. Jeremiah Trotter Jr. at Clemson, I think, was my third. I don't remember, mm. but. Um, or maybe it was Cooper BB at K State. I think that's who my third was. Um, yeah. But yeah, it's it's getting to be award times. But you know, Jordan, I think that goes. CB mentions Jonathan Brooks not a Doak Walker Award finalist. That's not a surprise for me. But again, it just goes back to man, th- th- this Texas team has there hasn't been like that one superstar player. It's just a it just speaks to the job Sark and company have done building this roster and developing the roster. Man, it's amazing. It's amazing what happens at this place when you actually start to develop talent. And like treat your players like humans. That helps too. That that helps too. You know, Sark Sark is big on that, man. I want to get into this tomorrow. We don't have enough time to get into it today, but you know, I don't know why this this triggered it for me. You mentioned Jeff Trailer's recruiting approach and how Mm -hmm. they do it. It wouldn't have to change all that much going from UTSA to U of H. So many coaches, when they move up a level, for whatever reason, they feel the need to like be a different person or change who they are. It's like, no, dude, you got that job because of the guy you are. This is what you did at that other job that got you promoted. Why are you going to start changing things? Um, I've never understood that, why guys need to change. And honestly, man, I think that's the thing that's benefited Sark the most at Texas. Like, uh, you know, he's talked about what he went through personally between, you know, his time at SC and the time he got this job. Mm-hmm. And you know he only knows how to be himself. He only knows how to carry himself a certain way and be the best version of himself. Dude, that matters, man. When you're just when when you're like, nope, this is who I am. This is what I believe in. This is what I want to do. This is how I want to run a program. And whether you were whether he was at, you know, pick your random G five school or or he's at Texas or whether he was taking over for Nick Saban in Alabama. I really feel like you would get the same Steve Sarkeesian at all of those jobs. I don't feel like Sark would change like some of these other guys we've seen change. That's, I don't know, I kind of admire that. I really do, that that you can be that that strong in your convictions about you as a coach, as a person, as an evaluator, everything that goes into it, to be the same guy no matter what job you're in. It's a big deal, man. Jordan, you've seen, you've seen coaches change. You've seen coaches get jobs, and then it's like, dude, yeah, I knew that guy once upon a time. That ain't the same guy I knew back then. That's a different yeah. version of that guy. No, it's a great point because anyone want to guess Tom Herman's record right now at FAU? They finished well, they finished four and eight. Tom, Tom wins games, man. Come on, five and seven. Oh, they won five and seven? Yeah. If they make he a bowl game, you're at, he he's gonna win that. <laughs> that's like his thing, is bowl games. So Tom Tom Bowl Herman, man. Uh, you know, you, you stick around Texas long enough, you you get one, you'll put up one of them five and sevens. Everybody does. Mac had one. Charlie had a couple. Sark had one. Tom didn't have his at Texas, but hey, stick around long enough, you'll you'll have a five and seven. You'll throw up a clunker. But hopefully. Props to, props to Sark because that five and seven season, I think, might have been like the worst five and seven. Like, it was so hard to watch. And when they blew a second half lead like five weeks in a row or whatever it was. <laughs> Dude, like unbelievable. I don't know, man. Charlie's 2015 year, that was there were times where I I don't want to say I hated myself because I had to watch it, but <laughs> there were times where I, I wish I was like, man, I can think of a lot of things. And it's sad when I can say I think can think of a lot of things I'd rather be doing than you know watching a Texas football game right now. But like that Halloween game where they got shut out in Ames, that was one of those times where I was like, man. I can think of 19 different places I would rather be than right here, right now. Yeah. No, yeah, y'all are. The 2015 team was worse. I just don't have a ton of memory because I was 12. 
But yeah. uh, I do remember watching the Iowa State game on Halloween. Um, and it was getting like flashbacks, PTSD of that this year when we played them at night. I went so, to... I went to the Notre Dame game, and it's like I tell everybody, man, that Notre Dame trip was awesome right up until the point the ball got kicked off. And then, and you, like, you go back and look at, like, the the, the amount of first-rounders Notre Dame had on that team. Like, they had an offensive line. I think their offensive line in 15 was it Ronnie Stanley, Mike McGlinchey, and I think maybe Quentin Nelson was on that offensive line, too. Like, dude, it was it – was, Will Fuller was on that Notre Dame team. Yeah. They had Deshaun Kaiser. Uh, actually, that was Malik Zion. No, he was a, he was Kaiser a, was the back, Kaiser was the backup. No, yeah. was Kaiser the backup or was Wimbush the backup? I forget, but yeah, Deshaun Kaiser was on that Notre Dame team. Yeah, I remember like three days before the game, my dad being all happy because uh, they had like three or four players get suspended because they got caught smoking or something. I don't know. <laughs> and uh, we got a shot. We gonna win. Whatever. Was it? Was the final? Was it thirty to three? Or am I tripping? 38-3. 38-3. Okay. 38-3. I didn't even need to look at the Wikipedia entry to know that. I'll tell you, I'll tell you who else that Notre Dame team had. Yeah, your offense, your offensive line. Yeah, you had Nick Martin, uh, Zach Martin's brother, Mike McGlinchey, Quentin Nelson, and Ronnie Stanley on the same offensive line. Uh Malik Zaire was your quarterback. Will Fuller uh was one of your receivers. CJ Procise ended up playing in the league. I don't yeah. think he played in that game, but you had Equiminius uh, St. Brown was on that team. And wow. this is the deal, Jordan. You had Jalen Smith pre-knee injury. Yeah. Pre-knee injury, Jalen Smith was Freak a bad show. dude. Jalen Smith, when he changed numbers and got cut by the Cowboys, was not that guy. Yeah, no. Um, <laughs> yeah, Kieran saying the 2016 game when Texas was back. My dad's like lock screen on his phone was a uh, Tyrone Swoops diving <laughs> over the plane for like the longest time. Man, uh, Kieran, Kieran, I, I, I'll tell you this: that 2015 win over Oklahoma. Of all the Texas games I've covered, all the ones I've watched, that game, the 2010 Nebraska game, I would say second, but it's not a close second. That's the one that if you said, "Hey, how did Texas win that game?" I have no freaking idea. I don't. I don't know. That was that was a Jeff Trailer, Jay Norvell game plan on offense. That was a healthy Hassan Ridgeway on defense. That was it's the damnedest win I've seen Texas have. Like the Baylor win that year was just insane because Texas probably should have lost to Baylor, but Baylor had like links Hawthorne at quarterback, and then they just started direct snapping it to Johnny Jefferson and damn near won the game because they ran for 400 yards. But that 2015 yeah. went over Oklahoma. It is I I'll never understand how Texas won that game. Yeah. Um, by the way, uh, Brett McMurphy just tweeted, I saw this because uh, CB mentioned me and you on it. Appreciate it, CB, by the way. But the finalists for the Allen Trophy is Joe Alt from Notre Dame, the offensive tackle, Cooper BB from K-State, and then Sweat from Texas. Well, it makes me feel good that two of the guys that were on my ballot are finalists, so I feel like I did my due diligence on that, submitting that to the to the football Jeff writers. Jeff ball. Jeff no, I just, I, I just I'm just part of the football writers. I I pay uh, I pay fifty dollars a year so I can feel special in December. <laughs> so really, a, I, mean, I mean that's really what the football writers deal is, right? Yeah. So what's the the Texas win the game or did Oklahoma show up? Uh, that's good old Bevo mix of both. Yeah, I, man, it's really weird. Like if you go back and watch that game, which I have several times because it's I, okay. I can't explain it. Uh, Marcus Johnson scores the first touchdown. And it's like the entire Oklahoma defense is just standing there watching him. Like, dude, y'all, y'all realize the ball is live. Like, y'all gonna try to attempt to tackle him? I still, um, I remember his celebration after he did. He did that. <laughs> then Mike, Mike Davis had had one or two that game too, right? No, you're thinking about the 2013 game. That oh, was yeah, when, that yeah, was the yeah. that was I'm the tricky. Case McCoy game. Yeah. That was the Case McCoy game where I'm in the press box and I'm watching. I'm like, dude. Case is just playing out of his mind. And it, he threw, man, he threw a bomb to Mike Davis on a fade. And I mean, Case McCoy, if he threw that ball, and by the way, Case, if you're listening, you know, you know I got nothing but love for you. If Case throws that ball a hundred times, 99 of them don't just drop right in the bucket over Mike Davis's shoulder exactly where that one dropped. And at that point, man, I had a pin in my hand. I just threw my pin in the air and just started laughing. I'm like, dude, this, 
man, when it's your day, it's just your day. Isn't that right, BK? It was Case yeah. McCoy's day that day in the Cotton Bowl. That was pretty glorious. Yeah, somehow, some way, Texas went two and two against Oklahoma in my four years as a UT student, uh, considering just how shitty the program was and how many other games they lost and how good Oklahoma was. Uh, yeah, that 2013 and that 2015 game, man, two, uh, two pretty special ones for sure. Trey was a UT student when Texas was beating everybody but Oklahoma. Yeah, well, oh boy, that was a long period of time. It was a good uh, six to eight year stretch, Jeff. Uh, it started in 96. I think they won that year. And uh, yeah, unfortunately, the early 2000s were not kind to Texas, even though they were winning 10 games most years. One of those losses was typically to Oklahoma. Such, such was life in the Mac Brown v. Bob Stoops edition of the rivalry. All right, we're going to get out of here and make way for Trey and BK. Uh, we'll be back tomorrow. Again, it's only an hour, 11 to noon. We're talking college football portal. Uh, guys, I'll get out of here on this. I think the uh, CFP rankings tonight are going to be a big nothing burger. I'm not expecting Texas to jump past Oregon, probably stick it at seven. So, mm. yeah. I'm All with right. you. Well, so guys, I need to correct uh, correct myself on the way out. They lost to OU in overtime in 96. So my apologies to uh, CB and everybody else for getting that one wrong. But that's what I do regularly is I get hey. uh, factoids wrong on this channel. you slept since then, Trey. It's all good. <laughs> <laughs> all right, guys, have a great show. We'll, uh, we'll be back to do it tomorrow.